Hey, I'm Michael, and this is Michael in the Middle. It's an intergenerational relational podcast for people who are interested in better human interaction. I'm glad you're here. All right. I've been looking forward to this one. This is uh, episode 16 of Michael in the Middle, and uh, that is my uh, dashingly good-looking younger brother over there on the other side of the screen, if you're watching. If you're just listening on the audio, um, just imagine one of the most intelligent-looking, you know, fit um, men, um, 59 years of age or older. And that's uh, that's what you'd have over there. That he's Jeffrey Thomas Johnson, my younger brother. He's also Doctor Jeffrey T. Johnson, who uh, serves as uh, South Texas District Superintendent for the Church of the Nazarene down through the Southland of uh, Texas. It really extends. How many square miles do you do you cover on on your district? I mean, it's like a massive amount of territory, isn't it? It'd, it'd be like a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. If anybody knows anything about uh, the state of Texas, if you if you basically went to Waco and uh, drew a line across the state, um, it'd be there and everything below, all the way down okay. to the border. Yeah. Uh, you've been in Texas since uh, 2000. Am I right about that? January of 01. 01. Wow. Wow. That's that's just. I mean, that's well nigh 22 years in a place that, you know, we've, we've been guilty of, uh, you know, the whole horns down thing is Oklahoma fans. And you've been in Texas longer than you've been anywhere else. I think. Uh, Quite a bit longer. And uh, yeah, I love being in Texas now. I love being from Oklahoma, love living in Texas. Uh, There's a lot more to the state than uh, the burn orange part of it. (laughs) That's great. That's great. We'll we'll get to talking about that a little bit more. But uh, yeah, uh, for for those of you who um, are listening and, and watching and, and don't really know a, a lot about um, our story, um, my brother and I were born to uh, Talmadge and Janelle Johnson. Uh, I was born in February of 1960 and Jeffrey um was born in in October of uh, 1963, just uh, a, a few weeks before, uh, sadly, the assassination of JFK. I was I was watching the news, and I guess I guess uh, it's been uh, you know the, it was the what would this have been the 59th anniversary of that of that awful tragedy, and um, I, I look back at those pictures and I I think about. Uh, what felt like a simpler life back then in Elk City, Oklahoma, um, as a as a three and a half year old boy when you were born, and I remember a little bit about Route 66 and and uh, being aware of certain aspects of the news and the political spectrum. But man, our our whole life seemed like it was the church more than anything else. But um, somehow, for you and me. Uh, in different ways, the church has been interwoven into every aspect of our lives, um, whether it's uh, current events or just trying to make a difference in people's lives uh, through the auspices of the church. And 
I would say we have uh, an amazing heritage. Um, you and I um, are, are, we were talking a little bit earlier, even before we hit the record button about the fact that today, um, one year ago today, um, we were just uh, at, at, at the time of this taping, we were just hours away from learning that our, that our mother, uh, Janelle, uh, had suffered sudden cardiac arrest and was taken from us. And, and it's been, it's been, uh, an interesting year. And I want to talk a little bit about her, um, in a moment, but before we get to all of that, Jeffrey, I would love for you to, um, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, your own family. I, I've got a couple of pictures here that, that, you know, will harken back to those early days in the sixties. I mean, who couldn't love that face? That's uh, a great smile. That's not a real bow tie. I know that's a clip on because I think I helped put that on you a time or two, but do you ever wear bow ties anymore? I, I do not. I do not have any. Um, <laughs> I don't have any from the, the uh, Dr. Stephen Hoskins collection. Um, you know that you see that picture and and how i got from from there to here is uh, kind of astounding how, how that cute little face got to got to this how, <laughs> how that cute little nose got to to what uh, one um, person recently referred to as an ancient nose it's oh my word mysterious yeah i i you know i it's you know, it's isn't it funny how some people feel so at liberty to uh, to say things out loud? <laughs> yeah, I receive it. It's okay. Yeah. yeah, prominent. I think. I think. You know. I mean, I, I my my nose um, factors uh, in in a big way in the in the overall context of my face, I guess, as well. Uh, hey. Um, you are married to the former Julie Pelton and you have two beautiful daughters and they married great guys. And, and, and I know, I know you love your daughters and your sons-in-law, but you really love those grandkids, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. We three amazing. This grandkids. is uh, I'm showing a picture right now of a recent trip um, that you were able to take with uh, Preston yeah, just, and Janet uh, Kaiser. Yeah, through the blessing of a good friend, um, got to go out and stay at their place out in the San Diego area. And, and that's yeah. uh, our daughter, Janae, and her husband, Preston. And then um, Ava is about to turn uh, 11 in December, and Indy is six. And they live down there in Houston nearby. Minutes from us, and it's uh, awesome. Preston is a uh, professional videographer and super talented at that. And Janae uh, works in HR for Chevron. Awesome, and does well. Next, uh, you know, showing showing your younger daughter Jana here with her husband Zach. This uh, stole this from Jana's Instagram, but that's back in August, and uh, they uh, they're a, a smashing couple, and they. Um, that would be your that would be your phone that'd be my phone I'll, I'll decline it there <laughs> it's a familiar tune this is you and julie with 
Zach and Janice, little boy Wyatt. He's something else, isn't he? He is. He's a big boy. He'll be uh, he'll be four in January. Yeah. Um, and they live in East Kentucky, where Zach's uh, heritage is in Ashland, the tri-state area, um, West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky. And mm. I'm looking forward to seeing them actually later today. That's terrific. You know, Jeffrey, you and I um, grew up in a, a setting where there was almost no context in which the, the, the church or the work of the church uh, was not involved. I mean, you and I played ball growing up and, and we were avid sports fans ourselves. Um, we're uh, a devastating combo in, in terms of uh, music trivia. I think we can hold our own with about anybody. We, uh, we got to watch a little TV every now and then when, uh, when we, Early on, we did not have TV, and I think I mentioned this in one of my other episodes, that we didn't have a TV in our house until I was 12, which would made you about nine. And this is a, a picture with our granddad, Johnson. Um, it, again, if you're, not, if you're not watching, it's kind of hard to describe it, but W.T. Johnson, the original Walker Talmadge Johnson, was quite a cat. He snappy dresser at all times, and and back in that day, our church was was maybe a little strict on certain things, and and uh, some of us didn't have TVs until later on. But Granddad Johnson didn't mind <laughs> when we would come over uh, to seventy three thirteen South Douglas there on the south side of Oklahoma City, and we'd go to Seven Eleven if we were going to spend a Friday night there. We'd go to Seven Eleven and rent a nineteen inch black and white TV. <laughs> And take it back to the house. And uh, I remember one thing in particular about uh, renting uh, a TV. I remember seeing Pete Maravich play basketball on one of those rented 7-Eleven TVs. Um, and I, I guess it would have been either late 60s or early 70s. I, I, I'm, the chronology of all of that is a little fuzzy in my mind, but uh, Granddad Johnson liked Hawaii Five O, and uh, and westerns, and he he had he had pet names for those, didn't he? Yeah, I think he called uh, Hawaii Five I Five O O Five. Hawaii O Five. And he mostly just listened to the volume up really loud, where he could hear the gunshots. Yeah. Trying to explain that whole dynamic with television in our youth is is lost on most people. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah. Especially given what a big part of our life it became. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think, yeah, our, our one positive thing maybe about it was our appreciation for storytelling um, came from listening to a lot of records, uh, even movies that were put on record or, um, and a certain comedian that you're not supposed to talk about anymore, his records were influenced <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, about his youth. I um, have, I have a couple of dozen of those records that you and I used to listen to, uh, when we were kids, like quick draw McGraw and, uh, Johnny Appleseed and, and bullwhip Griffin and the incredible journey. Yeah. I mean, do you remember listening to the incredible journey and, and, 
and being so concerned about about those animals making it back back safely yeah remember it well and only people over 60 probably have any idea what we're talking about <clears throat> well you know i think that's one of the important things that this podcast brings to the uh, to the sphere of knowledge i mean these these are important things that people who who don't know what we're talking about they they should you know they should get on their on their device here and and, and google some of these things they'd, they'd learn something i mean that was culture and uh, <laughs> i mean people people are really missing out well, I think I think there is an appreciation for storytelling from that era that's uh, that's maybe lost a little bit now uh, because everything is so instantaneous. Yeah. Um, and everybody now thinks they're uh, an author and publisher and artist um, or podcaster. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't go in there. I wouldn't go in there. <laughs> so. Um, Tell the folks what it is that you you do now, and uh, we'll, we're going to work our way toward uh, a couple of things that I really wanted to talk to you about. But um, you you in college were uh, originally studying, um, preparing potentially go to law school, and um, and you ended up you know following the footsteps of our father and grandfathers and a great grandfather. What um, what was going on there? How, 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 just give give folks a little bit of a flavor of what you were thinking about what you would do, and then all of a sudden, you know what? I need to do this. Yeah, I remember being in an eighth grade uh, civics class at Witten Junior High School in Jackson, Mississippi. Mister Green, civics and history teacher, also taught driver's ed. Yeah, and. Um, uh, and deciding in class one day, clearly, yeah, I want to be a lawyer. Uh, that's what I do. And and as time progressed, I thought, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll go go to school, study history, pre-law, maybe even teach and coach a little bit as I'm, uh, you know, headed into law practice. Um, that's my plan all along. And I think you know most people that knew us growing up would have. Uh, expected you to be the one who would become a minister. Um, you were you were the one that was more ready to get up and, and speak in front of a, a group and handle that well. I was the one with uh, more of a temper that uh, at times concerned our parents and, and others. Um, and um, it was something I wrestled with in my own journey, yeah. late teens, and heading into college about, you know, what it really meant to be fully obedient, uh, to follow Christ in my life. And uh, one of the things that I struggled to surrender was I felt like if I did, if I did fully surrender, fully submit to the Lord, that it might mean that I, I might go into ministry and, you know, that wasn't what I was wanting to choose. But, um, when that all crystallized, um, you know, I got some great uh, encouragement from from uh, other mentors, in particular, pastor in those days, Greg Ricky, about if you if you say yes and that's what God wants for you, He'll keep He'll keep confirming that in your life. And you know, so that's what happened. Uh, my my 
young lady that I started dating right about the time that I was wrestling with all of that, uh, did not want to marry a minister, having grown up in a pastor's home and knowing a lot of what that involved. But uh, fortunately, she stayed with me through a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been in ministry. Um, good experience at Trevecca, um, Nazarene Theological Seminary. Went into ministry. I served an associate at three churches, pastored three churches. And then about 13 years ago, I was elected into this role after having pastored in Houston for over 12 years. So, been surrounded by a lot of good people. Every church I've served in and, and in this role, God sent people, you know, by my side to be co-workers, encouragers, friends, supporters. And, uh, and I've, you know, never regretted being obedient to, to following that call, even, even when it's challenging at times. So um, I'm going to show this picture here. This is down in uh, Mississippi somewhere. I, I can't quite tell the location but uh, I was we clearly were... uh, too cool for school right there <laughs> uh, I don't know what was going on if I yeah. believed that I was supposed to be somewhere else at the moment but uh, anyway. <laughs> the hairspray the hairspray was working you uh yeah you had a full head of hair I did too and now we don't and uh, you You've just been more honest about, um, you know, the <laughs> lack of hair. I still, I still uh, can't bring myself to shave it down all the way, but you know, maybe someday. Uh, Mississippi was a big part of our lives, man. And uh, I, uh, again, you know, showing this picture for those who are watching on on YouTube, you can you can see the dynamic kind of there of the family. My my dad. Um, was uh, a very young district superintendent. He was only 38 when we moved down there in 1975 for him to serve uh, in that role. And uh, 43 when they moved to Mississippi, ex from Mississippi to Tennessee. Um, mother really fell in love with uh, with the people of Mississippi and, and really our whole family, I think, still feels very fondly about those times. But I, I, I'm thinking about, I, I'm, I'm guessing this is roughly probably the spring of 1980 that I'm, that I'm looking at this here. Um, and, um, and, and you, I was already established at Trevecca and was dating Sarah and engaged and making plans and all that. You had to uproot right before your senior year in high school, uh, the way the timing of all of that fell. And, um, that was a that was a little bit of a challenging time for you, wasn't it? Uh, definitely. Um, uh, Mother and Daddy actually moved um, sometime early that spring up to Tennessee. I stayed back with the family in Mississippi and finished out my junior year. Uh, I'd been really with the same core group of friends and students, you know, for five years. Um, wanted to stay and finish my senior year, but. Uh, the folks felt like I should live with them <laughs> and, uh, pretty, uh, yeah, honestly, pretty angry, pretty bitter, um, for two or three months, uh, when we moved to Tennessee in 1980. 
Um, but that's another story. The Lord did a lot of good things through a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. Turn that around. Sounds like a, a dog there in the neighborhood's a little upset about something too. <laughs> Definitely. You know, it's, it's hearing a dog bark like that. It just reminds me of one of my favorite comedians, Brian Regan. It's like, what is going on? It's, <laughs> it's just like a person just standing over there going, Hey, 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 Hey. hey. <laughs> That's hilarious. Brian Regan's such a, such a good comedian. Uh, but yeah, just in the incessant, just, and then, you know, finally when somebody answers, I go, how's it going? <laughs> yeah. Nothing there. <laughs> just want to see if you're paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you, you just to, just to fast forward the, the, these, these events that happen in our lives that are very difficult and, and even create a bit of anger. I remember that well. I mean, I felt badly for you. I was having the time of my life at Trevecca. I was already well adjusted. And I, I've thought a lot of times, you know, what, what could I have done more than I did to try to, you know, make it better for you. But, um, that, that's one of those situations where I can look back on it now and think, I don't know what else I could have done. One of the interesting things is that you made friends with a few people through, um, what Nazarenes used to call impact teams. I think there's still a couple of districts that, that do that, but uh, Greg and Gerald and Ricky and, and then several people that are still friends of yours and friends of mine to this day, that, that association with that group kind of helped soften it just a little bit. Cause it, it at least introduced you to some people, but I, I love to tell folks that when I'm talking with my brother, I'm talking with a man who, um, scored through the roof on his ACT and, and has three degrees and is one of the most learned people I know. But, um, I mean, you, you're one of the rarities. You have all these degrees and no high school diploma. <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy story. I mean, it certainly wasn't any kind of plan. It's just, sure. I mean, we're talking 1980 and there weren't all these programs where you get dual credit while you're in high school or, yeah, something like that. And basically, you know, you are a person that's always trying to to get in the middle of helping people out. Um, <laughs> and when you see them struggling, there wasn't much you could do. But in this case, you know, you you were a student admissions counselor and and kind of saw my situation where I I was driving all the way across Nashville to try to go to class with some people I'd met, but only had one class out of six with anybody I knew and hated every day of it. Um, you know, much bigger high school than, than I'd gone to. And I mean, I was a good athlete and I was in band, but I wasn't a great superstar at anything where you're going to come into a big school as a senior and yeah, spot with anything. So, um, yeah, basically you, you knew about the early admission program and that's, people don't necessarily want to hear about that, but yeah, I had the qualifications for that. Um, and, uh, you know, it worked out. You and I presented that plan to the folks and they accepted it. And I just dropped out of high school in late October of 1980. Um, yeah. And then you started at Trevecca in, in uh, January of, of, of 81. I, I, I remember that, you know, just a little bit. It, it, it actually, you know, um, 
the the last the last two or three months of 1980 there, there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot for you to do except enjoy life right <laughs> yeah one quick funny story about that and people that know our dad will appreciate this but um so i had stopped going to high school and uh, and it kind of just turned into staying up late uh either going over to Rebecca and or hanging out with friends and sleeping till noon and that sort of thing at that time our dad's office was above the garage at that house out on otter creek south nashville <laughs> yeah. and after a couple of weeks of of what i was doing there he came through the house one day it's about 12 30 and i just got out of bed and, and uh, he just stopped and he looked at me and said um this uh program that you're on um is is not working for me and i just looked at him like and he, he looked at me and he pointed at me and said you need to get a job <laughs> and and he made he made a couple of calls and i ended up getting a job at Kane Sloan department store in Green Hills and worked there, you know, through the holiday season until started uh, going to Trebekah. And yeah, I lived at home the first couple of quarters of 81 and then moved on campus with the people that I would have. Sure. Would have graduated with. And yeah. Uh, yeah. you, uh, you worked at Arby's, uh, for a time. Is that correct? Three hours. <laughs> Yeah, I had a lot of pride. Uh, <laughs> not that I still don't, but the, the double knit uniform and that that hat he had to wear, I, I just <laughs> one evening was all I could do. <laughs> that just cracks me up. I I I mean I I didn't have that down in my notes to bring up, but I'm sure people are riveted by all of this right now. Yeah. It's... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. You know, I mean, who knows what causes people to stay tuned into a podcast? You yeah. know, I mean, it, these they are just they are just conversations, and and you're right. It, uh, maybe maybe this is just too inside uh, for us. But Jeffrey, you have been all the way along. I mean, you've been somebody that that I was just, <clears throat> you know, when you were younger and got a little bit sick, and there were some there are some concerns about what you're going to be dealing with. Um, you know, I mean, you, you've battled back through a lot of, a lot of different challenges over the years. And I, I, I guess I would say that, that our mother was a, was kind of in the big middle of all of that with you through, through a lot of those kinds of situations. Yeah, a, a constant uh, presence. I had, I had uh, really bad allergies and had chronic asthma. Um, and you know, I don't know how many trips to the ER, you know, were required to get me breathing well again. His mother was always right there and had a blood disease when I was in fourth grade that eventually had to take my spleen in order to, to cure that. Uh, they initially thought it was, um, possibly leukemia. I, I do, I, I'm able to remember that, uh, being in the pediatrician's office. Um, I had bruises all over my body that this condition was causing. And the, uh, um, Dr. Garina, our pediatrician there in Oklahoma city and mother was in the office with me. And, and he actually said the words to her, which may not have been wise the moment that he, he feared that it was leukemia. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't processing all of that. And but I remember mother going to the phone that was on the wall in that um, office there and, and calling the church. And, and our dad was in a, a pastor's gathering of some kind. And uh, somebody went and got him and took the call and, and, and they, they had a, a time of prayer among those pastors for me right there. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be later on that we discover what it, there was in leukemia and all the trauma that went, went with that. But uh, yeah, mother was always right there. You know, she's just a fierce protector of her boys and of anybody that really anybody that was our friend. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've had friends over the years comment about um, our family's loyalty and and I would say that 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 mother was at the, the center of that. Yeah, um, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, if she decided that that uh, uh, you were a friend of hers or a friend of ours, you know that was going to stick and stay. And uh, and and she she'd be right there with you, cry with you, pray with you, battle with you, be <laughs> mad with you. Yeah, um, that's one thing about our mother was. Uh, she was typically pretty easy to read about what she was thinking about <laughs> things and about even about people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But fiercely loyal and protective and, and, and caring without with also without pampering us to the point of, you know, we, like we were overprotected. I mean, we all, you know, we both had our bumps and bruises and issues and, and uh you know accidents and all those kind of things and adventures uh, but, yeah. Yeah. i think some of that stems from um you know where she came from a lot of the things that she went through and and maybe at times wondering a little bit about her own support system and that sort of thing i, I I mean, that's my amateur psychology at work there. I think she determined in her heart that her family was going to, you know, aside from her relationship with the Lord, that was going to be where she invested virtually all of her emotional capital, you know? And uh, I, I I wrote something uh, the other day and, and just um, on this past Sunday when, uh, Austin and Rebecca had little Homer Crawford Johnson's up at the front of the church and an act of dedication and presenting him um, as has been tradition for generations, you know, to to the Lord and 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 praying that uh, God would bless his life and all of that. And that, I, I mean, you know this about your daughters and my sons and then they're the people they married and then the, the children that they have produced. I mean, it, it, it's like with each successive generation, it seemed like mother's heart grew even more, you know, and, and in terms of wanting to, to do for them and to be for them what they needed. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I wish, I wish everybody in the world had, had, uh, people in their lives who, who loved, um, them like our mother loved us and, and her family. Um, you, you know, we, 
we uh, took a trip with with the folks in uh, in 2019, and uh, this is a picture of uh, you and Julie and and Sarah and me with with our folks uh, somewhere high above Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Uh, you know, I I mean that whole time we were <laughs> on that trip, I I I just I was I kept thinking about. Captain Steubing in the love boat. And, <laughs> and if we're going to run into, uh, you know, anybody um, that, that we might've seen on TV, it was, it was kind of a surreal experience, but uh, all kidding aside, this was something that mother wanted to do. She wanted to do a trip in, in conjunction with the 60th anniversary of their wedding with her two sons and, and, and daughters-in-law. And um, you know, um, mother was, uh, somebody that served really well and tried to do things for other people. And, but some, sometimes she could find herself being assertive about things that she was interested in doing. And I don't think that trip would have happened if she hadn't just said, tell me, I want to do this. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was a great, and it was a great experience. There, was, there were lots of moments on that trip when you could see the, you could see the joy yeah, that she was experiencing, just hanging out with us, watching you and me compete in a in a music trivia contest at the PMR <laughs> or yeah. or uh, you know those, those kind of things, and um, yeah, she loved it. You know, one 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 story that comes to my mind um, that kind of speaks to who her mom was, in addition to you know thinking her sons were more amazing than we than we are <laughs> for sure. that but um and I, I think that's what you'd want in a parent more so than somebody who's yeah constantly making you feel um inferior but um and i don't have anything out here hopefully i won't tear up but um when uh, uh when she passed away the responses of people uh, to that, you know, we're, there are many stories that are pretty overwhelming. And um, it speaks to a little bit the title of your podcast in the middle of how she got in the middle of people's hearts. <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't mean in the middle of their business in a negative way, but in the middle right. of their lives in a positive way. Yeah. And um, so um, when the when the event happened that night a year ago, we were here at our house in Cypress, Texas, and our granddaughters, Ava and Indy, were with us. And, you know, I got the phone calls from, from Daddy, from you, and, you know, and then when it was real that she was gone, it was very emotional. And when we informed Janae and Jana, you know, they were a mess. They loved their Mimi so much. And, and uh, the girls, the granddaughters were great. Granddaughters were very emotional, but it was it was uh, after a while that evening when I got a text from Preston, son-in-law Preston, who who I've known since he was in the seventh grade, <laughs> and we've had quite a journey in life together. And he had a lot of challenges, you know, growing up in his life, and um. His text was pretty straightforward and simple. Preston's not flowery with words. 
and he just said, I'm sorry, PJ. Mimi was my friend. <laughs> and that just says a lot to say he didn't talk about her as like this grandmotherly figure, but as this 85-year-old woman, as his friend. Yeah. You know, who loved who loved and was interested in him and his life and made that so clear. And, uh, you know, I, I think you had a, um, you had a picture of, of our mom when she was a homecoming queen at, at, uh, Bethany Nazarene college. What is that? 1958? No, that that's yeah. going to be 56 or seven because they graduated in, in 1958. So yeah, you see how beautiful she was and, <laughs> and uh, why a lot of young men, including our dad, were attracted to her. But Preston took that uh, picture and uh, and made T-shirts with with that picture. <laughs> yeah. And he still wears it once in a while. And and Ava has one. And that's just a you know her beautiful smile there and uh, um, that that memory of of the way she got involved in people's. Uh, lives got in the middle of their hearts, you know, and I think that's where we, where we want to live. And I think that's what you're trying to do with all of this, this in the middle stuff. It's some people here in the middle and they think they, their minds immediately go to like hot issues and politics and that kind of stuff. And, and I mean, there's certainly an element of that, but uh, I think what we're called to do and, and certainly what the incarnation of God becoming flesh in Christ is to get in the middle of people's lives and ultimately hopefully get in the middle of our hearts and yeah. have that impact us by the way they love us unconditionally. And, and no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what choices are made, you know, that presence and, you know, that love and that investment is, is constant. And, uh, that's what, that's what we're, people are looking for today, you know, and I, I think, uh, I think the need is, you know, as great as it's ever been for, for those of us that, that say we know what good is because we've yeah. seen it and, and experienced it in Christ that we, we try to live in such a way that, that we can get in the middle of their, um, their hearts and lives um, in a, in a powerful, positive, unconditional love kind of way. We've had That's a lot it. of people for us. Yeah, absolutely. Forefront of that with our dad. Mm. My friend, Matt Litton, who was on with me, uh, last week in episode 15 said a lot of times people aren't so much looking for answers as they are presence. And, uh, that line's really been sticking with me because, I think, I think what, uh, you know, the response there was to, to mother's passing and the number of people who showed up at the service and people who've talked about watching her service online or, or people that would just every now and then, um, uh, heard a story the other day about a lady who helped her with her nails. Um, you know, mother didn't have a lot of expensive adornments, but she never left the house without looking really sharp, you know, really well put together. And, and, uh, our friend Jenny, uh, said the other day that 
that being at her service, she just she just said, my, my life is different because of what I experienced there. And I am emotional thinking about it because it wasn't just the service that was amazing. It was that the service reflected the depth of who Janelle was. And she wasn't always the one up on the platform, although she did a good job when she was. Uh, beautiful singing voice, incredibly gifted on the piano. She could even she could even do a good job speaking, although she wasn't nearly as confident as she probably should have been because she did a great job with that. But the, Janelle's presence in people's lives was the thing that validated all of the other things that she said were important to her, uh, including her relationship with the Lord. Got a picture up here from a surprise birthday party that Sarah helped plan with some of mother and daddy's friends. This, for those of you who can see it, is a picture from October 5th, uh, 2021. And uh, it, it really was a surprise for her. And, and um, I, I think one of the things that, you know, that night reminded me of and, and a lot of other times since is that I don't think our mom really knew how highly regarded she was by a lot of people. I don't know that she thought of herself as any kind of star or, or something significant in the lives of a lot of people. And I tell you one thing that, that I'm trying to do and, and thank you for your words about what I'm trying to even do with this podcast, but I'm, I'm trying to tell people that there will be plenty of opportunities for people to be humbled by the things that other people say to them. But I'm trying to find as many ways as I can to speak life and encouragement into people where I can and to uh, affirm them as significant in the, in the eyes of God and in, and, and in the grand scheme of things, um, uh, I, uh, I, I know, I know you do that a lot in the work that you do, trying to encourage pastors and others who are working hard in, in often very difficult situations. And, you know, I think we don't have time to talk about the future of the church necessarily, but I, I really do believe that, our churches need to be great dispensers of joy and hope. <laughs> I think, I think those are the kinds of things that could win the day at bringing people back to church, um, and and being connected to a, a group of people. What are some things as we as we kind of maybe turn the page? I mean, uh, we're we're all a product of of our environment and our shared experiences and. And certainly our parents played huge roles in that. But now that you're where you are, I mean, I think about this a lot in my early 60s. How long do I have left in the, in the work that I'm going to do? Uh, what, what is it that, that I still need to do to, to fulfill my calling and my role? But what are, what are some things that you're thinking about that are forward-looking, even some things maybe that you're working on or just personal 
personal hopes and dreams that you have? Yeah, I mean, there, there's many and I need to, I need to dig deeper, you know, in my, in my own life. Um, and in terms of my walk with the Lord and, you know, you talk about presence um, and how important that is. We were talking about our mother's presence in people's lives. And, you know, that's really, that's, that's so important and, and helping, helping others to see that, that our presence, you know, in, in people's lives, in the community, in the name of Christ is, is what's crucial. Yeah. The, it, we need to speak the truth, but, uh, that's always got to be spoken in love. And, you know, the John chapter one says that the word became flesh and, and the word was full of grace and truth. That's a hundred percent of both. Yeah. A lot of people think that, uh, that you kind of have to have one or the other. Um, and no, it's, it's both. And I want to be agents of that. I want to, I want to be an agent of hope. Um, and and get our anybody that i can have influence on to to be the same um you're you're so right that's what we need to be um communicating a lot of people think that if you if you major on hope and joy and grace that somehow you're going to compromise the truth and i say no that's <laughs> that's not true yeah it does that does not have to be we can hold firm to what we know know is right and from scripture and, and the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, but we can do it with the, the open arms as my good friend, Rick Harvey likes to say to live, live your life with open arms. Yeah. People, that's certainly the picture of God that we get in, in Jesus. And uh, I want to be that, you know, we, uh, we've made references to stories and things like that. And um, one of my, one of my favorite movies is not a, it's not a, a strong Christian movie. It's, uh, it's called Tombstone. <laughs> uh, and, uh, there's a lot in that, that there's a lot of sinning in that movie, by the way. Yeah. Um, but there is a scene at the end of that, if anybody knows this movie at all, and maybe it's a, just a certain percentage of guys that like, like that, but, uh, Doc Holliday, who's portrayed as the best friend of Wyatt Earp, and you know they're both very fallen men, but uh, Doc Holliday is dying from tuberculosis and a life of alcohol abuse, and he's in what they called a sanitarium back in those days. Right. But he's in hospice care. Sure. And his last days, and Wyatt Earp's visiting him every day, and um, Holliday knows that he's near the end of his life, and he's telling Wyatt Earp he needs to get on with his life. And, you know, stop coming to see him that, you know, go on and embrace life. But in a moment of real vulnerability, he, he says to uh, Wyatt Earp, in all my life, you're the only person that ever gave me hope. <laughs> and, you know, if that could be said about any of us, that uh, we're somebody that gives other people hope, I'd take that. Pretty good way to go. I texted our dad today, knowing, you know, the emotions that he's going through based on what happened a year ago. And uh, just, you know, short and quick that 
I love you. And I know you got a lot of memories today and I hope they bring warmth. And I said to him, our hope is sure and certain. <laughs> yes. So true. So true. We, uh, we, we romanticize things that happen sometimes maybe as a coping mechanism, but, um, you know, I, my 100 year old mother-in-law lives here in our house with us. And, uh, and, uh, among other, you know, in addition to Gaither videos and a half dozen preachers that she really <laughs> enjoys, she really likes uh wheel of fortune. And, uh, you know, I made a little bit of a joke at, at mother's service when we welcomed everybody that I don't think there was any correlation to the fact that she died watching wheel of fortune. You know, I don't, I don't know that it's a, it's a, a fatal exercise, but that was kind of a, a nightly ritual for mother and daddy. And, uh, mother was big at speaking to the TV. <laughs> You know, whatever the show was or the movie she was watching, she would kind of speak out. And especially on those game shows and especially Wheel of Fortune. When she went quiet and she wasn't saying anything, you know, about the clues that were going on, she wasn't making any guesses. Daddy looked over at her and said, Janelle, are you okay? She didn't. She didn't say anything. She just lifted her right arm and and then slumped over to her left and she was gone. And uh I mean, I think I think it's okay for us to believe that in that moment she was reaching up and taking the hand of the one who had given her hope literally all her life when uh when her mom died. You know, when she was 14 and, and Faye was only Faye was only three. And, and when she got sick herself, when you were sick, when anything, you know, that was difficult was facing her. I don't think she ever gave up hope one time that things were going to be okay. And, uh, you know, I, I, I want us to continue her legacy of, strong presence being in the middle of people's lives and getting in the middle of people's hearts. I love that. I love that whole thing. And, uh, and, and, and I thank you for the, for the tombstone reference. That's, that's beautiful. I might, might just have to watch it just so I can get to the end, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, you, you're doing, you're doing good, brother. Keep trying. Yeah. I'm trying. trying. And, uh, you know, mother never gave up hope. But her hope was challenged at times. Oh yeah, and and that happens to all of us. It does. So we, we gotta we gotta stay present with the Lord and stay present with each other and put hope in the middle. Keep I'm super proud of you, Jeffrey. Grateful for you, and uh, thanks for thanks for the example that you are to so many, and uh, thanks for humoring me by coming on here and uh, you know for being a part of this. And, and I, I pray that it'll be a blessing to someone. Uh, thanks, no, for, thanks for being here, friends. We'll Love see you, you next time. All Love right. you too.